Hi, this is Dan Mendes from NextGen Venture Partners, coming off of a really interesting conversation with Ken Gwynn, the co-founder and CEO of Republic. Uh, Republic is an equity crowdfunding uh, platform uh, where you can invest in consumer companies, you can invest in uh, new ICOs, uh, you can invest uh, in major uh, most of their deals uh, and their financings are female-led companies. Uh, and uh, Ken hails and his team hail from AngelList, uh, one of the early innovators in uh, crowdfunding generally. I think this is a really interesting conversation about the future of how startups and how innovation uh, is financed, um, how the diversity there, the new mechanisms through blockchain, through non-accredited investors, everyone be having the opportunity to invest small dollars in startups. That's something new and different. Um, in the U.S., at least historically, you've needed to be an accredited investor with, with you know, significant wealth or income in order to invest in startups. And that is all changing. And companies like Republic, individuals like Ken are at the forefront of that. I think this is a fascinating conversation about how about the convergence of uh, inclusion, innovation, uh, finance, and um, and startups. And uh, I'll let you uh, listen in. Ken Gwynn, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Dad. Ken, a few years ago, you were the general counsel of AngelList. Now you're the co-founder and CEO of Republic. Uh, walk us through the story. How'd you get here? Uh, well, my uh, story started uh, a few years before Angel is. You know, I'm not like a lot of uh, founders in tech in that I had a prior career as a securities attorney, was in academia, and then uh, joined Angelus as general counsel. Really was drawn to Angelus by the democratized investing mission. Uh, and uh, But Angelus uh, was and is only millionaire. So when the law changed uh, in 2016, that allowed uh, everyday folks, millionaires and non-millionaires, to invest uh, and support entrepreneurs. Um, we uh, took the opportunity uh, and launched Republic when Angelus decided not to do that. So we were fortunate to get Angelus support from day one, but that's the, uh, the foundation for, for Republic as a business. When you were back at AngelList, you uh, were engaged in the lobbying effort um, to take the Jobs Act, which allows for equity crowdfunding, allows for non-accredited investors uh, to put uh, to put money into startups. Um, you uh, you know you were you were you were working with um, uh, with regulators um, on that um, on AngelList payroll. Um, so, what, what do you think happened that um, you know made AngelList you know take take another direction that allowed for uh, for Republic to to spin out and go after the non accredited investor opportunity? Uh, of course, the and AngelList was one of the many players that helped support that lobbying effort. So I don't want to to undermine uh, other participants uh, in in the project. But in short, uh, when it comes to law, law is something that that has to catch up to innovation, right? So you have movement, social changes, technological changes, and then the law would catch up to it. And the only way for the law to catch up to that kind of social changes is through either lobbying through legislature or through the court via, via decisions and through agencies like the SEC through rules making. Uh, and we, from my experience, uh, both people in D.C., 
uh, politicians and legislators and regulators, there's a lot of goodwill for them to catch on. So it's a matter of having a conversation, being persistent and transparent, uh, and you know, and in hope that everyone will will see uh, a solution and an opportunity in the same direction. And fortunately, that's what the SEC and that's what DC uh, over time came to see crowdfunding uh, and the Jobs Act, as well as various SEC regulations that led to Republic's uh, crowdfunding business model was a public-private partnership that I think uh, we don't see often enough, that that collaboration is necessary to move something like fintech forward in a productive manner. And we're going to see the same with uh, crypto, with uh, ICO uh, and that space. Tell us what Republic does today. In short, uh, an investment platform whereby um, doesn't matter what your income or net worth uh, and where you are in your career, uh, in your professional cycle, you can actually invest, not buy a product, not making a donation, but invest in a project uh, so that if the project does well, you in turn would do well as well. May it be equity or token or crypto. Uh, so we, our goal is to be the one-stop shop for people uh, to learn about investing and to diversify their portfolio. And what kind of companies are you working with these days? We have a focus on tech, but also on inclusion uh, and mission-driven projects. So typically, uh, to be listed on Republic and our acceptance rate is way less than 10%, uh, a company got to meet you know, one or at least two of the three uh, verticals, tech-enabled, uh, mission-driven, that is an authentic mission beyond bottom line. And the third one is uh, a diverse team. Uh, you know, it can be diverse doesn't just mean uh, ethnic or gender. It can it simply means people who are not currently served by the traditional venture financing ecosystem. Uh, and if I, so if I were to go on your platform today, you know, how many... Um, projects would be available to be funded? Um, you know, what's the balance between crypto and a more traditional uh, startup? Yep, so we are just about at the 18-month mark since launch. The first year was R&D, and we launched 12 companies over 12 months. And since then, we really have scaled it up. So um, right now, actively, there's about 15 companies on the Republic platform, uh, all of which are on the equity, non-crypto side, because we just launched our Republic crypto product uh, with a very successful first uh, deal called Props, P-R-O-P, that was sold out within a few hours. The new, the next crypto deals will be launched later this month. Uh, but you know, our hope over time is that it will be a fair balance between equity and crypto. Um, and perhaps, you know, three, four years down the road, you're going to see more crypto than equity. But our focus right now is split equally between the two business models. What's your pitch to, uh, to the companies that you're working for? They have multiple sources of financing available to them. There are, there are other crowdfunding sites. There are other ways of, of selling coins. Uh, you know, what, why should companies trying to raise money work with Republic? Uh, those that haven't learned uh, or haven't caught up on the value of equity crowdfunding, uh, they probably should, uh, would want to know that 
crowdfunding, investment crowdfunding is not just about money. It's a very unique marketing branding um, tool in that if your customer or if your buyer becomes a tiny investor, he or she is going to tell everyone about it. So that value, I think, is still not clear to a lot of entrepreneurs. Those who are already familiar with crowdfunding and are looking at different platforms, all I have to say is that not everything is for everyone. Get to know us and the other platforms and ultimately go with one that you think is more mission aligned, that, that you feel like you click more with uh, when you have a conversation. You know, I, we, uh, we have a focus on women founders and so we probably are not going to be taking on a, uh, you know, a adult product uh, startup and, and I respect all business model uh, and on the other hand uh, you know whether women founders find us or a, a competing platform more suitable is very much a personal decision uh, and I don't I think trust your instinct um, we all do that you have a focus on female leadership. Uh, what's the for the project you've done to, uh, to date? What's the percent breakdown uh, between a female and male leadership to the degree you have that data? And then uh, uh, tell us, you know, why you decided uh, to go down that route. Yes. So today, I don't know the exact percentage, but certainly much more than fifty percent of the campaigns on our platform, uh, of the founders on our platform have been women founders, as well as the percentage of money deployed on Republic in startups. Now, uh, and that's a much higher percentage than obviously the venture industry where the number I think is below 10%. uh, And we intend to keep it that way. The uh, the focus on that uh, twofold. One is very personal, and the other one is just experiential. That is on the personal end. I grew up with, um, you know, strong uh, women role models in my life, and not until that I entered the venture ecosystem that I that that the gender uh, biases were so obvious, were so prominent in law, in big law. Uh, gender equality uh, is much higher of a threshold than in tech. Uh, and so the, the desire to do something about it. Uh, and then the other one that I think all of us probably can agree that if good ideas come from everywhere, there's no gender or ethnic background that has a monopoly on it. And yet at the same time, the venture ecosystem only finances uh, a selected few or, or heavily biases uh, one gender that there's so many good ideas that have not been given the right opportunity to flourish. And I think that if we do that, it's just not, it's not about feeling good. It's also good for the economy. It's good culturally. Uh, and, you know, and it's worth doing. Uh, so those two reasons uh, combined led me and the team, uh, you know, to, to focus on this mission. It's not the easiest thing to build, but we work day and night, uh, quite frankly, based on, on, uh, on that belief. There are investors, there, there are a number of investors in, in all asset classes who, you know, will focus on female-led companies. Some of them will say, hey, you know what, you're also, your returns will be better too because uh, more traditional investors um, or investors who don't focus on female leadership are missing opportunities. Uh, and I'm curious if you would uh, say the same. Is that do you, do you, would you say this is actually a financially superior um, uh, option as well? Um, and or how, how do you think about the, uh, the financial 
aspect or the um, or the balance there with, with focus on female-led companies? Well, as a as an angel investor, um, as an investor in general, and statistics have shown this, companies, large and small, but even public companies, uh, publicly traded corporations that are more gender balanced or just have a more diverse management team or the board uh, and the, the company culture tend to perform better. And why is that? It's very easy to understand that different people bring different perspectives. And when you build a product or when you make decision on a company, particularly anything that's consumer related, a, a more a broader set of perspectives would inform those decisions better. And, out, and as an outcome of that, it's a better business and more uh, you know, more profitable or higher ROI for investors. Now, on Republic, we're not focusing on telling investors that um, by investing in women founders that you're necessarily going to have uh, a better return. We don't know that for sure. We believe so. But instead, on Republic, we encourage people to look at investing as a way, one, ROI, but two, a way to be more socially engaged. That is, if you care about gender inequality or the refugee ban, you can talk about all day long or invest 10, 20, 30 dollars in the next woman founders or immigrant founder that you believe in. Uh, so I think collectively, if everyone does that, we truly are going to build a whole new ecosystem and economy that that is mission-driven and, and people-driven uh, and not just based on return on investment alone. It's an amazing thing that you can allow individuals to invest, you know, 20 bucks uh, in a startup. You know, the traditional systems, uh, you know, wouldn't allow for that. Too much paperwork, uh, too much, you know, too much hassle. How do you do it? How do you, um, how do you allow for such small dollar investing in, in an asset class where traditionally you needed... 10,000, 25,000, 100,000 to have access. You know, I uh, am fortunate in that uh, I have such a talented team, but also benefit a great deal from uh, the experience at AngelList. Uh, AngelList is known for uh, syndication, but a lot of people don't realize is that they have made launching a venture fund so much cheaper than what it used to be. So the cost of running a syndicated um, AngelList deal, which is a venture fund, for 10 years, the total cost combined, fund formation, taxes, everything, is less than $10,000 fixed fee, right? That used to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars not long ago. So out of that is legal simplification and productization of messaging, of paperwork, and we borrow that model uh, and, you know, and customize it or tweak it to work for crowdfunding. And we're still revving on it to make the process cheaper for entrepreneurs and for investors alike. How does blockchain play in? In an uh, unexpected way, at least unexpected for me, uh, only recently did I come to realize that blockchain moved crowdfunding forward in a way that without it uh, will take even more time for people to realize in that blockchain by inherently is about equal participation, truly decentralized, distributed. And it also reward 
each participant in the project. That's exactly the whole point of equity crowdfunding. So an equity, a blockchain deal, you know, logistically, it may be slightly different than an equity deal, but it's the exact same value proposition uh, as compared to our traditional uh, Republic equity deals. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to launch uh, more and more uh, crypto deals uh, in 2018 and beyond. How do you think about uh, doing an ICO for Republic itself? Uh, that's definitely in the work, and we probably have more updates uh, to share uh, maybe uh, later this quarter or in Q2. So I'll make a, uh, a claim about equity crowdfunding uh, versus ICOs, and I'm curious how, how you'd think about it or how you'd respond. So I think there was a, a tremendous amount of excitement and enthusiasm when the Jobs Act was passed a handful of years ago, allowing for non-accredited investors um, to put money into startups. And uh, we have, it's been slow to take off. And, and maybe part of that is the SEC and maybe part of that is consumer demand, but it, it hasn't uh, taken off and changed the, the landscape in the way that I think many advocates hoped. Meanwhile, um, ICOs have, se have seemingly come out of nowhere in the last 12 months um, are sort of taking the world by storm. I'm curious, A, you know, do you agree with that characterization? And, and B, where do you think uh, these, these two new methods of raising money are headed? I don't think that it's been uh, disappointing. At least the traction on equity crowdfunding has been within my expectation. I know that some had a more rosy expectation on an exponential growth right off the gate. But the reality is that it's not about the lack of demand, it's about changing consumer behavior. And that simply takes time. For people, the vast majority of doctors and lawyers, basically people outside of Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley and, uh, and VC uh, ecosystem, have never made a private investment. They don't, they're not familiar with concepts like convertible notes, much less a save or a cap or valuation discount, right? So it takes time for people to, to, to learn something new and become more comfortable with it. So I think given that it's a year and a half since the launch of equity crowdfunding, we've seen some really promising growth. Uh, and it's a hockey stick growth. So I expect growth year after year to be exponentially more than the prior year. And we're not even in year three yet. ICO, on the other hand, or blockchain, is now in year seven. So even though we only see, or, or the mainstream public, had only caught on to it this year, but it's been around since, you know, for, for many years. Uh, so it's not a an overnight um, growth. Uh, and I think that in my, my belief is that ICO over time will eat into the equity crowdfunding space and that more and more companies will choose to raise on a tokenized basis. Uh, but the, the growth of the two industry will parallel one another. Um, and uh, when we get there, we'll get there. But uh, our focus right now is still 50% on equity crowdfunding.
Do you think as ICOs grow, as equity crowdfunding grows, do you see that as sort of taking market share from traditional angels and venture capital firms, or do you see it as as, um, additional financing sources, new sources of capital additive uh, for startups generally? Uh, I don't think it's taking it away from venture capital firms or investors if venture capital for venture capital firm or investors in general are now willing to consider uh, crypto investing as just you know another way to deploy their assets, uh, but I do think that you will see more and more, particularly highly technical teams, that in prior years would go the traditional venture or seek you know Series A financing route, now will look to raise uh, through a token sale or a token pre-sale, meaning that there are less traditional deals for VC deals. Um, But if investors are willing to consider uh, a tokenized fundraising effort to be just another way of doing fundraising, then, uh, then nothing is taken away. It's just enhancing or diversifying the means of which uh, a project can finance itself. Who is Tim Draper? Changing subjects a little bit. And how are you involved with him? Uh, Tim is my idol. (laughs) He's uh, one of... uh you know, the more noted venture capitalist and, uh, you know, founder of DFJ and then Draper Associates and Draper University. And he's also been a very early believer and investor in uh, blockchain and other cryptocurrencies and projects. Uh, We were fortunate uh, that Tim uh, asked us to partner with him and Sony Entertainment on a new TV show that's into the very last episode. This is kind of like the first project of its type, Shark Tank-like, a TV show on cable TV on Sony that people at home can invest on companies that pitch Tim, his father, Bill, and his daughter, Jesse, uh, you know, again, uh, on, on a panel of judges uh, and people at home can invest. So we're, we're the first crowdfunding portal that supports a television show of that type. How does a deal like that work? And I'm sure you can't get into the details, but, you know, um, are, are, is Sony taking a cut of your proceeds or, you know, how, how, how is something like that even structured? You know, no, I, uh, Sony Entertainment and Tim are doing it to, uh, to be ahead of media and of viewer participation. There hasn't been any agreement about Sony or the Drapers sharing, uh, you know, interest and commission with Republic at all. Uh, It's been a very good faith, organic effort of getting together. And each partner say, we're going to do our best with what we bring to the table and make this uh, better project a success. And we can look forward to many more years and many more seasons uh, of Me to Drapers. And uh, perhaps there will be a point where there's an economic discussion. But today it's been, you know, it's been just people coming together and doing what they do best. And if, if people want to see the show, you know, wh- when, does it, when do you expect it to air and, and how can people actually watch? Yes, the show and uh, my colleague just corrected me on Slack that the last uh, episode has already ended. It was running for 13 weeks on Sony Cable um, and uh, they probably will announce a rerun in the coming months. So we're going to post that on our website. 
Fantastic. Um, well, uh, Ken, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Really appreciate uh, everything you're doing. Thank you so much, Dan. It's uh, a pleasure. And uh, thank you to, I mean, I'm just grateful to be a part of the, the Next Gen uh, family and look forward to uh, be helpful to any entrepreneur out there that's considering equity crowdfunding or token sale. <laughs>